You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas! We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field and bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get, get it, it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Hey, Raider Nation, welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. We talk nothing but Las Vegas Raiders Football, Mo Moten, Scott Branson uh, with you as always. Mo is the national NFL writer for Bleacher Report. He's also the columnist covering the Raiders for SportsNot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at LV Gully. We appreciate you guys being here. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your audio podcasts. Hey, just go find us, subscribe, put on the auto-download and we appreciate you very much. If you're watching us on the YouTube, make sure you hit subscription and the notification bell as well. Well, Mo, you are with us. You weren't with us on the post game on Sunday after the, I called it the Raiders revelation. People are calling it the miracle in the desert. People are calling it uh, the, the revenge for the tuck rule, whatever you want to call it. Just an incredible ending to a game where it appeared that the Raiders would again, well, they did blow another double-digit lead, but they come back late after the offense sleeps the entire second half. Derek Carr leads them on a drive, ties the game with 32 seconds left, and then, of course, we saw what happened uh, with the Patriots and, of course, the Chandler Jones interception. I call it that because uh, I still can't believe that Jacoby Myers did what he did, uh, but nonetheless... Let's talk about this game since we haven't had a chance to talk to you about it first. The the ending. I said this to Murph the other night, Mo, and I think this is important because we're going to get into a lot of different issues because a lot of this game we need to talk about, and it's completely separate and and not as fun to talk about as the miracle that happened at the end of the game with the Raiders winning 30-24. to Um, But I told Mo that most of all, I felt great for the fans on this one. Forget the football. Forget how this boneheaded move by the Patriots, very un-Belichick-like. Um, but the, the, the fans were able to enjoy, to, to, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and see their team win in a crazy play for once when usually the Raiders are on the other end of that. 
I don't care if people don't agree with me on this. I have a name for it. It's not going to make sense. So oh. I explain it. I'm calling it the Sloppy Joe Spectacular. <laughs> and why I say that is because if you look, if you've watched the game from beginning to, to end, it was a very sloppy game on both sides. The Raiders, yes. I believe, 13 penalties, which is the most penalties in a single game this season. The Patriots, as you just mentioned, very unbelichick like just mistakes, disjointed. I mean, their offense has been disjointed all season long because they have a defensive coordinator calling plays for their offense. <laughs> but that's a whole nother story, a whole nother segment for probably our sister podcast that covers the Patriots. But I will say that with the with a sloppy game as it was. The Raiders come out looking spectacular because Derek Carr throws that pass to Keelan Cole. I, there's some discrepancy. Was it a touchdown? Was it not? I'm not shedding any tears, especially for the Patriots, because as we know, the history between the Patriots and the Raiders, there's a certain call that went against the Raiders that shouldn't have. <laughs> so we won't talk about that either. Oh, yeah. But Chandler Jones coming up with that, as you call it, your interception. Technically, as you know, we all know it's a fumble recovery, but yes. we'll go with interception, fumble recovery, slash, whatever. But it was as a spectacular heads-up play for Chandler Jones, who's a former Patriot. So he understands playing to the whistle, keeping your head up on a play, not giving up. Because if you look at the play, he actually missed the tackle on Ramondre Stevenson originally. He slips off of Ramondre Stevenson, who runs upfield, and then he stays with the play, stands in front of Mac Jones. Because on those laterals, a lot of times players want to get the ball back to the quarterback so the quarterback can throw deep downfield. Him having the presence of mind, knowing that, stands in front of Mac Jones. Jacoby Myers makes the big mistake, flattering <laughs> it backwards. He's there to pick up, to pick up the pass and run it in for a touchdown. There you go. It's the sloppy Joe spectacular, as I would call it. Sloppy Joe spectacular. You heard it here first, Raider Nation. I know that's going to catch on. There'll be T-shirts because <laughs> Raider Nation loves their T-shirts. And I could just yeah. see a burger with like, or a bun <laughs> with Mac Jones kind of stuck in the middle of the bun as he's getting yeah. trucked by, uh, yeah. by Chandler Jones. You, you can, you can have a bun with sloppy Joe in it and you can have Chandler Jones smashing the bun into Mac Jones face as he's, you know, getting pushed into the turf by the 44 yard line. Go. There's so many creative things you can do with that. There is, but uh, the, the amazing thing about this was I think everyone had the same reaction it was like, that just didn't happen. There's no way you go down. And you talk about it. They, they, they. I saw the scrum with Jacoby Myers after the game, and they asked him, and he, he was very calm about it. He just said, "Yeah, you know, I just made a mistake. No, it wasn't planned. Um, I just made the wrong choice. I was trying to make a play happen." Which gets back to your point about being a very uncharacteristically uh, for a for a um, Belichick team because because those guys just don't do that. I mean, you're tied. You're not behind by six or seven. Right. You are tied. All you got to do is go down. And Stevenson makes a nice run. Almost broke it for a touchdown, frankly. If he gets another block, maybe he does. Um, and so you go down and you just you get to play, especially on the road. But this one, uh, it, it's one of those deals where we go back to the car drive. And I want to show that because I have the picture. You ready? The picture. And I got to take our, our graphic off of here. Um, but you can see, Mo, you've seen this picture, right? Well, there it is. There's the toe just mm -hmm. in bounds. And I was I was I was blown away by this and <clears throat> I know Raider fans uh, like to talk about the referees pro almost more than their team sometimes. But um <laughs> in this case, you know, this was the right call. Now, they didn't make the right call because they made the right call. They made the right call because they couldn't find any evidence to overturn it. So, the gentleman who got the call, the linesman that was on the side and he's actually 
if you're looking at this picture straight on, he's to the right of this picture or would have been the left of the players, the line judge, uh, got it right. And yes, it was close, but I couldn't believe how many national media, I couldn't believe how many folks that are Patriots fans were complaining that they got ripped off over the call. And now I understand some of the angles looked as though Cole didn't get his foot in, but it is remarkable, Mo, that not only did the Raiders get the correct call there and get the touchdown to tie the game, but then they get the crazy play to end it. That's so foreign to Raider Nation to have the ball bounce your way twice. You know, I, I'm not one to complain about referees because, like I said, I, I said this while you were out sick. I said, if you look at every NFL game, every team has one play that they remember, multiple plays that they can remember to gripe about. Just not to go off tangent, but Sunday night, that Giants-Commanders game, the guy is literally hugging Curtis Samuel as he's in the end zone, and the refs don't call that in the final play. Now, people say you don't call that in the final play, but as the referee that that's part of the broadcast said a foul is a foul but anyway you know in in this case as you said they made the right call now just like you i watched from a television set where they show the overhead angle and it looks like keelan cole's toe is on the white line but as you just showed the picture you could see clearly see that his toe is in bounds and i think it was jonathan vilma who pointed this out he said a lot of times they go by where the, the receiver's foot kicks up. When his foot kicked up, you didn't see any white, right? So if, if, if his foot kicked up and you saw white come mm-hmm. off the ground, that shows that his foot it was hit out of bounds line. But you didn't see that. It was all black. So yeah, it definitely the right call. So I'm I no Raider fans are going to have their conspiracy theories about the refs anyway. But in this case, <laughs> they they did the right thing. So there's nothing to complain about there. No, that that is true. Um, but it's interesting because even when there's nothing to complain about, people like to complain. And and that's the one thing, too. I mean, look, you look at this game. We're going to get into the particulars around how the game was played before the final play and before this play as well in just a minute in the second segment. But, Mo, I, I'm, I was blown away because we got on, as you can imagine, the chat was going crazy in the postgame show. And I was just shocked at how many people got in there and all they could talk about was how bad the offense was, how bad Derek Carr was, how much the defense sucked, and all this stuff. And I'm and I and I kept saying to people, listen, we'll get to that here on this show because we're objective. We're gonna talk about the the good, the bad, and the ugly always here on Silver and Black today. But enjoy the win. It was a crazy, it was one of the most exciting finishes in Raider history. It just was. I know it was just a regular season game in a down year, but it was still an amazing ending when you thought you were going to lose again, the Raiders come out and do this. It's really interesting because I sit back and I'm not trying to criticize anybody. Let me just be clear about that. I just don't understand your team just won and you're mad. Do you, do you get, is is it just the, is it like PTSD? What is going on with Raider nation that they're not even happy in a win? I, I want to be careful not to paint, all fans with the same broad no. brush. Right. And I know you're not either, but I just want to make that clear for anyone listening for say, oh, you guys are just, you know, bashing fans. And like, no, like, because there were a lot of fans that are, I was on Twitter after the game and there were a lot of fans absolutely ecstatic and happy. Yes. But I will yes. tell you that the fans who are not happy with a Raiders win, they wanted the Raiders to lose out because they feel like it, 
it's a better chance that the Rays would draft a quarterback and replace Derek Carr. So I, yeah. I will tell you that most of the people not happy with that win on Sunday night are people who want Derek Carr gone. Mm. And like I said, the chain reaction is if the Raiders had lost out or if they have a poor record, it increases the chances that they have a shot at drafting a top quarterback prospect and replacing Derek Carr. That's where the anger comes in. That's interesting because, uh, and, and I believe you, uh, but I just, I, I mean, look, as I told one viewer last night, I, I chatted back, I typed in uh, during the break, I said, listen, enjoy tonight, go back to being angry tomorrow. <laughs> just give it, give it a few hours. Like, like every, even when you're going through tough times in life, you know, things might not be going your way, whether you lost your job, you lost your girlfriend, you lost money, whatever it may be, you got to find joy at least a little bit, right? To keep yourself sane. And so I get what you're saying, and I don't disagree. I think it is about Carr. And in the third segment, we're going to get into the Derek Carr situation uh, based on last week. Since I was out with COVID, and thank you, my friend, obviously, for doing all those shows by yourself. We appreciate it. did a great job, of course. Um, and, and we'll talk about that because there were reports last week we got to get into, and also this game, what it might have had uh, any impact on that one as well. What about, though, this, this game, too? I mean, you look at look at what the Raiders had uh, in front of them, right? They had to they have to win out. They got to still win out for any chance of the playoffs, which you know again very minute chance. But nonetheless, they go home um, and you had a lot of turmoil last week after the the Rams loss, um, and they didn't seem to come out with any more fire. They got Hunter Renfro back, they got Darren Waller back, but I didn't see any noticeable uptick in energy. I didn't see anything go backwards either. I didn't see like concerns. Well, boy, these guys are out there and they're just playing out the string and they've quit. Um, what do you take from that? Anything, Mo? I don't take anything from it. What I will say is, look, I know the offense didn't have its best day. I get that. I'm not going to praise the offense. Uh, offense was excellent. What are you talking about? No. First of all, not to go into the nitty gritty details yet, but the offensive line played well in the first half. Pass protection broke down in the second half. Let's be mm -hmm. honest. Carr was inefficient, but when he had to come through, he did. By the way, he threw three touchdown passes, did well in the red zone this, this time, threw a touchdown pass to Matt Collins in short distance, so there was that part. But I, I think what, what it comes down to is when you bring back Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, let's remember they neither player has played, I believe, even eight games yet. Right. So I think they're still getting used to the system. I know fans don't want to hear that at this point in the season when you're three weeks out from it being over, but they missed a lot of time. They missed a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> so you you got to – now Darren Waller came in, and he contributed, scored, had a touchdown. Hunter Renfro, not so much. He had a catch, I believe, and he returned punts. But my concern is not really about the energy. I, I think the Raiders' offense – had some issues with the Patriots. Give by the way, give credit to the Patriots defense. It's still yeah. a it's still a pretty good defense. By the right. way, Bill Belichick is a good defensive mind. He has his son calling plays. So typically the Patriots have a good defense. So you got to give them credit for that. The Rays weren't going to run through them and score 35 points. I believe on this show while you were out, I said this is a 24-21 game. I didn't mm -hmm. expect it to be a high scoring game. So I, I didn't expect a lot of points there. But if you want to talk about energy, I, I would probably go back and watch that. But I didn't notice any, as you said, I didn't notice an uptick where players are more juiced up for this or or a kind of a step back where players weren't into it because the remote chances of getting to the playoffs. Yeah, I just thought they played 
if I'm going to criticize the Raiders, I just thought they played one of their sloppiest games and still came out on top, which is something to be positive about because, as you said, they blew another lead and they had to wind up coming back and, and, and winning the game. So, that, again, that's why I call it the Sloppy Joe Spectacular because <laughs> though it was a super sloppy game for the Raiders, they come out looking spectacular because they get the W. That's right. Well, the Super Sloppy Joe Spectacular. <laughs> there you go. I love all the alliteration in there with yes. the S's. You know you're a yes. writer when you're alliterating to that effect. Yes, yes. Uh, well, Mo, I don't understand why you would ever look for any positives. I mean, come on. It's all about the negatives here, man. No, but but I get you there. I get you. Look, it was a win, and that's what I said last. Yeah. Uh, la the last show was I said – a win is a win. Doesn't matter how it happens, it's still a W, right? But as you said, a lot of people don't want the W's because they think things are inevitable if the Raiders don't win. Really quick. Now, I put out a tweet on I think it was Friday or Saturday. I believe it was mm -hmm. Friday. I said there are four games left. What do you want to see most from the Raiders in these last four games? Now, a lot of people said, you know, I said aside from the obvious a win. A lot of people say they want to see consistency. They want to mm -hmm. see Josh McDaniels mm -hmm. hold on to a big lead. They want to see Derek Carr prove why he deserves to stay. Uh, Chandler Jones continue to play at a high level. They, some people wanted to see other players in the game, like Malcolm Kuntz, who blocked the punt, by the way. Yes, he did. And there were some people who said, I want to see the Raiders lose out. <laughs> they were they were a good, and I'm not saying a small percentage. They were a good portion of Raider fans. That said, yeah. I want to see them lose out because... There are fans, not just Raider fans, but there are fans, period, who say, I'd rather a team be terribly terribly bad and get a high draft pick than be mediocre in this middle ground purgatory where you're yes. picking 12 to 16 and you're kind of stuck in the middle. Just be bad, bottom out, get a top pick, and not restart, but refuel and reload. Mm -hmm. so I get it. Yeah. No, I get it, too, because if you, if you want to be – uh, in the first round, uh, if you want to have a pick, you want it to be either high or really low, right? Because that's that means you're either uh, getting one of the top five players in the draft or you had a good year. So so I get that. All right, Mo, we're going to step aside real quick. When we come back, everybody, we're going to get into a little more of the ins and outs of this game. We're going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about the defense, which I believe, sorry, get mad at me, that most of you are wrong about the defense. And I'll tell you exactly why using some numbers – when we come back, uh, as well as talk about that. Merry Christmas week. As you can tell, I'm wearing my elf hat today. And don't forget, on Thursday, my annual, my <laughs> annual, twas the night before Raider Christmas. If you haven't heard them before, we might have to pull them out of the archives and put them up as a special podcast so you can hear all three of them. They change every year. I write them every year because that's how much I care for you. I want you to have a good Christmas. You don't celebrate Christmas? Doesn't matter. You can celebrate twas the night before Raiders Christmas. But we're going to do that on Thursday. But to hear it, you got to download the podcast, so make sure you subscribe. When Mo and I return, we're going to get into the ins and outs of the game, talk a little about where the Raiders struggled, where they succeeded, and what we can learn from that. You're listening to Silver and Black Today. Excuse me, Silver and Black Today, Odyssey Original Podcast. Don't go anywhere. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. 
Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Tuesday edition of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Welcome back, Raider Nation. We appreciate you listening or watching us if you're with us on YouTube. If you're listening, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We would appreciate that very, very much. Put on the auto download. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit subscription. Yes, but you got to hit the notifications bell or you won't know when we have a new video out as well. I am Scott Branson, your host, along with my partner, my co-host, Mr. Mo Moten. I've got Mo. I've got, my lips aren't working. The COVID is still a little bit in there. I'm trying to get to it. Mo Moten is with us. I think I was going to say Maurice, and then I'm like, no, I'm just going to say Mo, and I, I kind of confused it in my head. So Mo Moten, he's the national NFL writer over at Bleacher Report. He also covers the Raiders with a column up on sportsnot.com. Follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O. T-O-N. Okay, Mo, let's talk about before the miracle. So we're going to say call this the BM. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Um, but if we look at the Raiders, let's start with the offense because the offense, again, you look before the drive that tied the game, and you got to give the Raiders and Derek Carr, everybody credit for that, that drive. But before that, the Raiders in the second half didn't have a first down. They had the pick six to start the half. Derek Carr throws that. Uh, and then they had five punts in a row. Okay, five possessions with pun five punts uh, before the, the tie tying drive. This offense could not get. Now, last segment, you brought up a good point, and I want to talk about that, the offensive line. Offensive line, first half, does a good job. Guess what? A coach as, as successful and as good as Bill Belichick goes in at halftime, and what does he do? He does the patented Moten halftime adjustments, right? He comes out. And he gives different looks up front, and suddenly the Raiders' offensive line is having trouble blocking for the run. They're also having trouble pass blocking. Talk about specifically what happened in that second half. What did the Patriots do that created the havoc, which helped, at least in some part, uh, take away the effectiveness of the Raiders' offense? While you were out, Scott, and I talked about this, the one thing that the Raiders had to watch out for was the Patriots attacking the interior of their offensive line. Mm -hmm. Now, this is before I knew Alex Barnes wasn't going to play, but we already knew that he was going to be questionable coming in. Now, during the game, Dylan Parham also went down. So what do you have? You have Hieronymus Grasso, and I believe you have Meredith in there. You have two guys who are basically, to me, in my opinion, third-string offensive linemen. Yes. Grasso hadn't, I believe Grasso hadn't played even last year. Hadn't played guards since 2018 with the San Francisco 49ers or the Baltimore Ravens, one of those two teams, one of his former teams he played guard for, but it had been years. And Meredith, we don't hear about Meredith unless it's the preseason. <laughs> so you're telling me you got those two guys in at your guard positions 
And you got Matthew Judon and Josh Uche out there who just came off of a big Monday night against the Cardinals. And they're able to do their loops and stunts and attack the interior offensive line. This is what happens. And as you said, the Patriots go in at halftime. They make the halftime adjustments there. And they're able to attack a weak spot on the Raiders' weak spots on the Raiders' offensive line. So there you have it. And that's how you, you know, you wreak havoc on the Raiders' offense. And you make it hard for them to even get a first down. Now, I'm not going to blame it all on the offensive line because there were, you know, Carr, there are times where I feel like Carr maybe missed someone. But that happens every game. There are times where Carr has a lot of time to throw, still doesn't find the right receiver. You know, that can be talked about. The film guys can handle that. But you see it on film when you, when the Raiders play these games that there are sometimes Carr misses. And I believe there was one big miss in the first half. Yep. I think Jonathan Vilma pointed it out that he did. Uh, Matt Collins had an in route, and Carr was locked onto Devonta Adams. He didn't see Matt Collins until it was too late. He was covered up coming across the field. I think, you know, there's a little bit of that happened more in the first half than the second half. But to me, the... The, the main point of the second half was I think the offensive line crumbled with basically third string offensive linemen in the game. And it goes back to my point. What did we talk about during the offseason? The Raiders needed to bolster their offensive line, right? The Raiders needed to bring in some veterans just in case they need those depth players to play late in the season. And here we are. Now they let go of Alex Leatherwood, not playing. And then Jermaine Illuminati, as I talked about while you were out, is a penalty machine. I know he, he played, got hurt the week before yeah. but the race offensive line just isn't good enough mm-hmm. if a play if one player goes down that glaring weakness is going to show up and it did after halftime in the third and fourth quarter but mo wasn't there opportunity i mean look it didn't seem like the raiders offense look you can't overcome a lack of talent up front right if they get beat you get beat you can't scheme around getting beat like that but you can lessen the impact and that's where from a coaching perspective i thought the raiders were very slow to react to the changes they were seeing up front and the fact that they were getting beat on the interior and that's all josh mcdaniels and i pointed that out too on twitter i said josh mcdaniels for to be called an offensive guru offensive coordinator genius whatever you want to call him he's very slow to counter other things i said this in a tweet i said it took him a month to figure out he can win games with josh Jacobs in the backfield mm-hmm. running the football. It took him a month to do that. It took him a while to kind of get uh, Devontae Adams involved. Not get him involved, but remember, as I said before in a previous show, remember Devontae Adams had a problem with not getting the ball even when he's double teamed? And he yep. kind of had this come out and say, look, give me the football even when I'm double teamed. It's it's kind of like, you, as Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr probably knows, but Derek Carr is going to do what Josh McDaniels wants. Josh McDaniels should know, like, you have a star receiver. He's there for that reason use him even when he has double coverage. Now, mm-hmm. the Patriots did a good job with him. Kudos to Marcus Jones, who did a good job with Devontae Adams. I believe Devontae only had four catches for 28 yards. But, you know, when you know your top wide receiver <laughs> is is covered and not having a great game, you go to the next option and use your next option. But to your point, if the offensive line wasn't holding up in the pass protection, that's when you go to the short passing game. Right. Especially when the run game is not going on, that's when you use Amir Abdullah and Josh uh, Josh Jacobs in the short pass game, get him out in the flat, get him some easy targets and get up the field quickly and get some first downs. Correct. And that's, that's where, that's where I have the issue with what Josh McDaniels and why, when we start talking about this broken record of this team blowing these double digit leads to me, it's because of that, that slowness or uh, that, that lack of recognition of when you should change. Okay. You go out the first drive of the second half, it's a pick six, it's one pass. I get it. You're not learning anything there, but you go out for that second, that third drive 
and you see what they're doing. You have Darren Waller back, number one. Of course, Darren Waller's still not going to be 100% game ready. People expectations of him, even though he had the touchdown, uh, were too lofty, I think. But you have Foster Moreau there. You have also Hunter Renfro back with some of those quick passes they ran last year uh, right over the middle. He owns the middle, and they didn't do it. And so to me, that's where I was calling it. I called it coaching malpractice on the Six Rings podcast with New England because <laughs> I just don't believe – that someone in that position can continue to make that error this late in the season and see it uh, unless he's just not being told and no one's able to be honest with him and say, hey, hey, coach, uh, do you want me to remind you when we need to switch things up when they're not working? But I think this is where the frustration comes in. And yes, we all, most of us agree, although I'll talk about this in a second, that Josh McDaniels will be back next year. The chances of him getting fired, I thought if they lost yesterday, might have gone up significantly with what happened again, but I just don't see it happening. But I, I look at that and I think to myself, this is kind of what he did in Denver. And so why has that not changed? And if I'm a fan, that's where I get concerned about the coaching. The talent and the team, that's Dave Ziegler's job. That's what he's going to have to do in the upcoming draft and in free agency. But with the coaching and what we've seen this year, Mo, are you as concerned as I am that we haven't seen growth from the head coach? I'm concerned, but I'm at the point where I've I've resonated the thought that he's going to be back. So right. I'm just I'm just yeah, preparing. You accept that. I, I I just fully accepted it. But my concern level for me is okay, it's your first year on a new team, new environment, you got new players around you. But at this point, you should have it figured you should have it figured out where your second half adjustments should be clicking. Because mm -hmm. as someone said it to me on Twitter and it was very simple. And I forgot what the converse, how the conversation started, but he said Josh McDaniels' main problem is that he he doesn't adjust well after halftime. I right. think I may have to bring back the halftime adjustments tweet that I used to have every every <laughs> halftime last that's year. That's why I mentioned it earlier. That's be, that's that's clearly his biggest problem because, as you said, if something you do works coming out of the gate, and if you know teams script plays coming out, you know in the first quarter, then it then your script runs out, then it comes down to how well can you coach? How well can you counter what the other team is doing? And it clearly shows because the Raiders fade in the second half that Josh McDaniel's team is not good at adjusting to counters of what the other team is doing. Now, I don't know how you fix that. I, I don't know if it's you go in the locker room and you say, look, we got to spend some more time with what the other team is doing. Maybe they're not paying enough attention to the opponent and what they're doing and how they're executing or what they think the other opponent's going to do. But if unless that changes you're going to continue to see the Raiders blow leads. Now, fortunately, this time they were able to get it back and win the game. But can you imagine if they blew their fifth 13-plus point lead? I, I would be with you that Josh McDaniel's seat would have to at least get – I'm probably not going to get fired, but he Hot. would have to be on a short leash coming into the next year. Like, look, if you don't fix this problem with blown leads, yeah. you're out of here before the season's over. Well, and again, um, listen, as as exciting and as happy as I was for Raider Nation uh, about this miracle play, the Sloppy Joe, what did you call it? The Sloppy, <laughs> sloppy Joe, special, Joe Spectacular. <laughs> the Sloppy Joe Spectacular, trademark Mo Moten, um, <laughs> is, is, is the fact that, that they – th that the, the, the Patriots had one of the biggest boneheaded plays in the history of the NFL. If they don't mm -hmm. do that, the Raiders do lose or – 
Maybe they going lose. Overtime. It's going into overtime, right? So you don't know what happens either way. Uh, so so who knows? But my concern is this, and I'm going to bring up the Houston Texans for a minute. And you're going to out there say, why is he doing that? And by the way, why is he wearing that stupid elf hat? Merry Christmas. Uh, but but <laughs> for those of you watching. Um, but I will tell you that one of the things we always talk about, and you hear NFL coaches talk about, is you want your team playing its best football. Mo, you've mentioned this over the months as well of the season, around Thanksgiving going into December, okay? So between Thanksgiving and Christmas is when you want your team, well, beginning of January now, you want your team playing its best football. Now, I use the Texans because they are the worst team in football, correct? One win? Correct. Mm -hmm. They took the Chiefs to overtime, right? That's correct. Okay, so the Texans who have less talent than the Raiders, right? We'll just assume that. Not in every position. I'm just saying overall, the Texans are playing. And, and the last three weeks, the Texans have been incredibly competitive. Um, competitive in games. They had no business. They were double-digit underdogs in all of those games. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they played hard. They are playing their best football under Lovey Smith. And this mm -hmm. is what worries me about this coaching staff and the roster as it's made up now. I know it's going to change a lot that they are not playing their best football. They played their best football in a three-game stretch three weeks ago, okay? And so, again, that goes back to not only the coach not making adjustments, but what is it that they – and you could talk about new systems and all this kind of jazz, but guess what? These guys should be playing hard no matter what the goal is. The goal should be, yeah, we're going to try to win out and make the playoffs even though it's a minute chance – Wherein the Texans have, they've been, they've mathematically eliminated weeks ago and they are playing their best football. That to me, that's what drives me nuts when I see teams who fade towards the end, even if they're out of the playoffs, because that tells me the motivation or whatever it is that's happening inside the building is not getting them better. Yeah, that's a very, that's actually a great point. To, to bring up that the Texans, as you pointed out, took the Chiefs overtime, almost upset the Cowboys. How do I know this? Because I, I you lost some bad money. Oh, they covered, <laughs> they, they covered double digit leads over the last two weeks, and I lost money on, on ah. one of them. I thought, I thought the Cowboys would romp them after the Cowboys trashed the Colts. Didn't happen. I thought I was a little hesitant because I said, okay, the Texans have a little fight with the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and lo and behold, they're taking the overtime. And I thought for a minute, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hot, the Chiefs lose that game, believe me. Yes. I, watched, I watched a lot of it. He doesn't, if he doesn't become Patrick Mahomes the great, the Chiefs go down, and, and we're talking about a big loss. Well, not us, but Chiefs fans <laughs> and Chiefs radio are talking about a big loss. So yes. to your point, it's a, it's a great point that even the bottom of the barrel, the worst team in the league record-wise, is playing his best football post-Thanksgiving. And here are the Rays that kind of – they play back the best football in the first half, and still in the second half, they still fade. And it goes back to my point about what the person said to me on Twitter is that Josh McDaniels, when it comes to halftime adjustments, gets a big fat F because it shows <laughs> that he he he's not the guy to make those half whoever's making the halftime adjustments is not doing a good job. No, no. It's crazy, uh, but they get the W anyway. All right, we're going to step aside for our final break. When we come back, your favorite subject and mine, Derek Carr. We're going to get into that a little bit because Mo and I need to catch up on last week's uh, trickle of news around Derek Carr and his future with the Raiders. We'll also talk about his performance on Sunday. Of course, he had the one good drive uh, and a couple in the first half 
Uh, and we'll talk about that. as uh, So get ready for the car wars, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is segment three, the final segment of this Tuesday edition of Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast covering your Las Vegas Raiders winners, 32-30 to 24. Boy, this COVID brain thing is real, Mo. I got to get it together. All right. Uh, 30-24, of course, on the Miracle Play, Chandler Jones with the interception slash really fumble return for a touchdown. By the way, Mo, that picture, the memes of Mac Jones getting run over <laughs> by Chandler Jones uh, is just phenomenal. Some of these people who have the time to make these memes all day long, it's really funny stuff. Yeah, I tried to promote the people on, on this show, but my guy DC4LTs, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Had, he had the T-shirt up, I think, within an hour. <laughs> Within an hour man. of the game, the T-shirt was already oh printed. It was selling. It's oh the best goodness. thing ever. I think. I think they're still scraping Mac Jones off the forty-four yard line, but it's all in good fun. It's all yes, in good fun. he got. And and the thing about it is, if he just had thrown his body at his legs instead of trying to make that awkward backward falling tackle, he probably would have stopped him. Um, right. And so it just goes to show you, he just wasn't prepared for it and didn't expect it. I think everybody was as shocked as we were on the field uh, as, 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 as he ran the ball all the way into the end zone in there at Allegiant Stadium. But uh, anyway, a great ending for Raider Nation, one of the most iconic now in franchise history. It goes right up there up on the list. All right, Mo, we're going to get into everybody's favorite subject, the car wars. Uh, and we even have a new logo. If people are watching, dun, dun, dun. If you're watching on YouTube, you will see in your right-hand corner the Car Wars logo. Yes, that's where we've gotten with this. Um, But I want to get – first, I want to touch on what you and I couldn't talk about last week because I was laid up uh, while you were doing the show by yourself. And that was we saw uh, Tashawn Reed – do a report on Derek Carr's future. We also saw, which questioned whether, you know, or not he could be back. Uh, we also saw Vinny Bonsignor, a friend over at the Las Vegas Review, Review Journal, do one as well that had in there saying that an NFL source thought that the Raiders might move away from him. It was a little more definitive coming from whatever his, whoever his source was, that the Raiders seem already m- moving on from Derek Carr. Uh, and, and obviously those two stories came out on the same day. There was clearly 
something going on in conversations as journalists do. They have off the record conversations with people that lead to stories. Uh, sometimes they will either say they have anonymous sources or they will just go ahead and write a story like Tashawn did, where he talked about the subject matter, including the money that'll be due Derek Carr, including the future of the team. Um, when you saw those two pieces drop last week, this coincided with something you tweeted as I was in between my my cough medicine stupor. I saw you tweet something about, hey, or it was your column in Sports Not. Excuse me, I got to give you more credit than that. You talked about, hey, this last four games for Derek Carr could be the deciding factor. It could be almost like an audition for whether or not he is certainly back next year. And then you see those two reports come right after your column. Um, when you look at this, and we'll, we'll talk about how Sunday's game factors in, but when you look at that, um, you had said for the last several weeks that Derek Carr would be back. I was in that boat, too, based on uh, what we know and what we've seen. Now, though, seeing these reports come out, seeing the fact that Carr, not all his fault yesterday or Sunday, but he certainly was not consistent again. It's been the problem for him all season long. Uh, have you moved at all on that? Do you now have a little more doubt that perhaps uh, Derek Carr could maybe be on his way out via, I think it would have to be a trade um, before the end of the Super Bowl uh, weekend because the Raiders would have to make the decision by then. Now, if you know me, you know I didn't move off my 10-7 and 7 season prediction <laughs> until the Raiders <laughs> lost that eighth game. So I'm not budging on my opinion until, until it's, you know, I don't want to say clear to me, but until it's more clear to me that I feel like the Raiders are going to move on. Now, I read the reports from Tashawn and Vinny Bonson. You're close to the organization, obviously, so they have their sources, and I'm sure they not, I'm sure, but they probably have similar people who've talked to them, but mm -hmm. we'll leave that alone. But <laughs> I, I just right now, I'm sticking to where I was, and that's, I think Derek Carr is going to be back for year 10, only because I just feel like if even with the four game, I don't want to even call it an audition. I feel like there's a missing piece to this puzzle right now because we don't know where the Raiders are going to draft. And I think that mm -hmm. plays a big part in their decision on Carr. Who's available? Who could be out with their team that may be on the move? You know, So I think all of that stuff matters. So there, there's still some moving parts there that we don't have the answers to yet. So I think until we have those answers, where are the Raiders going to draft? who's going to be on, on available, who may be on the trade block. I think until that, until we get those answers, I'm sticking with Derek Carr gets to year 10. And also because I just feel like at, as of right now, if you're looking at the Raiders roster and you're saying, okay, Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, that group can succeed with a, with a, another capable quarterback. It doesn't have to be Derek Carr. Forget the people saying that, oh, if Derek Carr leaves, Devontae Adams is going to leave. I don't believe that for a second. I but I, I feel like if if the Raiders, and I know it's only three games left, but if the Raiders gain some momentum with their full house of pass catchers and Derek Carr in the center, why would you want to why would you not want to carry that over to the following year? Now, mm -hmm. regardless of who's the quarterback there, I'm always in the camp that even with Derek Carr being there. I would still draft the quarterback regardless because Derek Carr is not going to be around five years down the line, in my opinion. I draft the quarterback regardless. So what you would have is Derek Carr there, and then you have a quarterback behind him so that it's not like, okay, it's Derek Carr or nothing, mm -hmm. or we move on. You can have Derek Carr and still have his understudy under the wing where you don't have to start over right away. You can, you can have Derek Carr for another year, 
and you can have that guy ready for the following year if you're not completely satisfied with Carr after after this season. So, sh- short answer, I'm sticking with Derek Carr gets to year 10. So then let me ask you this, Mo, because sometimes uh, decisions aren't just made based on talent or um, whether or not a quarterback has what you need, or I should say has the ability. Sometimes it's made upon money. Are you telling me that you believe that the Raiders could not, if they were to say, okay, we're going to trade Derek Carr, just do it, right? Um, that they could not they could not get a veteran that could, with the rest of that offensive lineup, you mentioned Renfro, Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter uh, Renfro, all those guys. Are you telling me that you don't believe that they could get another veteran to come in for less money and do a job as good as Derek Carr? Oh, I'm a, I don't want to say as good a job as Derek Carr, but I feel like they can get a bridge quarter. They can absolutely get a bridge quarterback who can move the ball with that unit. I mean, I, I'm in New York City, so I've watched Mike White step in. <laughs> Mike White, yeah. And and he does well with, with two young receivers. He's got Garrett Wilson, who's a rookie, Elijah Moore, who originally won it, wanted out because Zach Wilson wasn't getting him the ball. Mike White puts up numbers with that with that group and in and a defensive minded head coach. So I can imagine what Mike White could do with an offensive head coach and the Raiders weapons. Another guy that I like that I mentioned while you were out, Garner Minshew, as I was given a tribute, uh, I said Garner Minshew to me is a starter in this league. Now he may get a chance because Jalen Hurts is banged up, has a sprained yeah. shoulder. Yeah. But Garner Minshew, to me, if you're if you're looking for a bridge quarterback, a veteran who can push the ball down the field, Garner Minshew can do that. Do that. But the question is, if you bring in a bridge quarterback, then to me, you're getting rid of you would get rid of Carr, and you're saying, okay, we're going to have this bridge placeholder quarterback, and we're going to have a young, a young quarterback come you know come in behind him because yeah. I don't see the point of spending for a bridge quarterback when you're already spending on Derek Carr. So to me, is if that guy's coming in, you're definitely moving on from Derek Carr. But I will yeah. continue to say this is that Derek Carr, him saying that he wants to retire Raider, I I, I don't think people should underestimate that. Because mm. if he if he is serious about that, and it changes then it. That, that that changes the whole conversation trade conversation because then yeah. that means the Raiders can't get anything for him. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of what if they I don't think they're gonna do this, but even if they cut him, they're not gonna get anything for him. No, that's why so it has to be like, a trade or nothing. Right. So it's like if you can't get anything for Carr, then you ride it out with him for another year and you draft the guy behind him and say, look, you know, Carr, we like you, but we're bringing in this young quarterback. The future, just the future. It's about, the, right, it's about the future. And you, if, if Carr's not satisfactory level in 2023, I know fans are going to roll their eyes because they say we saw this for nine <laughs> years. But the point is that young quarterback that you bring in may not be ready right away. No. And no. you have a team, you have a rock, you have an, at least an <clears throat> offense that could compete right now. So the point is, you you could still compete now and get that guy ready. Because if you remember, and I know this is a Raider podcast, Patrick Mahomes wasn't great out of the box. He sat for a year behind Alex Smith before he got on the field. Jalen Hurts, don't know, right? We don't now. We don't know what Patrick Mahomes would have looked like as a rookie. Yeah. But he had the benefit of sitting for a year behind a capable veteran before he got out there. And I think the Raiders, if they're going to move on from Derek Carr, they can follow the same model. Right. And I think it all comes down to this. It's it's partly the money, because if you even if Derek Carr retired, you're you're off the hook for the money. OK, except for mm-hmm. for and I think actually he'd forfeit the four million if he retired as well. Uh, but if he was cut, basically, you'd have to pay him the four million. So that mm-hmm. frees up basically thirty five million dollars. 
um, which you can think about signing a bridge quarterback maybe for $15 million a year, maybe a little more than that, plus maybe you can go spend on, I don't know, a free agent offensive lineman that could come in and do something originally. So, so to me, it, go, it gets down to whether or not Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, have the confidence and want Carr around. If they want him around, I don't think there's any reason he's not back. But if they are looking long term and say, you know what, let's get this money. We want we have other plans for this money and we're going to move on. We're going to get a guy to come in and, and bridge it, which I know a lot of fans would not be happy with. Um, I think the the possibility is there. I'm not saying it's going to happen, uh, but I think that it's definitely within the realm. And we don't know because we don't know what's going on inside the head of Dave Ziegler. But certainly there's a lot of, I think, What's the what's the word I'm looking for? There's a little bit of evidence, at least, that shows to me that maybe Josh McDaniels doesn't always trust his quarterback as much as you should. Now, I could be reading into that. I'm not a guy who hates cars, so I'm not looking for that stuff. But but I'm just saying it just looks at times that that might be part of the problem on offense, too. I personally think there's a higher chance that the Raiders draft the quarterback draft. behind Derek Carr than outward you know just trade him i i just feel like with the way the team is constructed you have mm -hmm. Devonte adams at the height of his career you just paid darren waller who's on the other side who's going to be on the other side of 30 has had some injury issues now he's still got to yeah. fix up the offensive line still got to fix up the defense but let's let's understand that this team necessarily doesn't have and coaches generally don't have a lot of time to start winning so we got this year right here that's the Raiders are probably not going to make the playoffs. So now we're going into year two. Josh McDaniels understands that he's going to have to make a leap in year two. He's going to have to win big, some big games. Leap. So yeah. So if he if he takes a step back with a young quarterback, you're thinking, okay, it, he would have to get the okay from Mark Davis that look, Mark, this is going to take not about you know, wins, maybe, right? This is not about wins. It's going to take three, four years. This is a rebuilding project. If yeah. he goes to Mark, Mark Davis with that plan, then I can see it, mm -hmm. and it kind of resetting his clock and giving him more time. But if he sticks with Derek Carr or gets a bridge quarterback, he's got to win some more games now or else people are going to be looking like, okay, where, where are the wins? We got Devontae, <laughs> we got Darren Waller, we got Hunter Renfro, we paid Max Crosby, we got all these guys. We got to start winning football games. That's right. And the, and the guys that are getting older are not getting any younger. So you have to try mm -hmm. to win when you can. So we'll see. But I, I think Darren Waller has a better chance of getting traded than Derek Carr does. So we'll see. Really quick, if the Raiders had a young roster, if the Raiders mm -hmm. had the roster of like the Jacksonville Jaguars without the quarterback, of course, or a mm -hmm. team like the Jets, then I could see them moving on with Carr because then you could say Carr's timeline doesn't match Mesh. with yeah. the team's timeline. We have a young team. We have a quarterback who's older, been around for nearly a decade. Let's start over at the quarterback position. But the Raiders have have guys that a handful of guys they just paid. Yeah. So it makes you think that this is a this is a win now roster, not a Let's step back and then step forward roster. Yes. And clearly the, the win now roster was a catfish, as you said the other day. It, on the show. <laughs> All right. We're going to say goodbye to the Car Wars logo because now we're going to switch subjects. I want to talk about to end the show, Mo, uh, the Raiders defense, right? We've talked about the Raiders defense being much maligned this season for good reason in some cases, uh, including the fact that they just don't have enough talent, right? We've seen them get better up front since their rival Jerry Tillery. Bilal Nichols has performed better as of late, as has Chandler Jones, clearly. And, and so they've started to put it together, I think, and they've, they've grasped the system. I saw folks after the game Sunday just crapping on this defense again. And I want to go over this because I didn't even think about this and realize it. 
But if you look at the Raiders' last five games, you ready for this? Gave up 16 points to the Broncos, 21 to the Seahawks, then 13, 17, and 17 to the Patriots. The Raiders have only given up more than 17 points once in the last five games. So how can that be? Now, I understand the last drive against the Rams. Okay. But again, um, is this defense, with despite the lack of talent, is this defense getting markedly better um, than people are giving it credit for? I think that the defense overachieves uh, when the offense is humming or not humming when the offense is is moving the ball downfield then the defense can hold its own but once the offense goes the defense can't hold the fort down it's not a defense that you can win football games with consistently it's a it's a defense that if the offense can keep it off the field and keep it out of pressure where you don't have to score or you don't have to hold the team under you know 17 points it can win because let's let's be honest max crosby is a, is a it's a top, is a to me, is a defensive player of the year candidate. As you said, Chandler Jones is coming on. My problem with the defense, though, is, and of course, Denzel Perryman plays great football. I know you're a big fan of his. But my problem with the defense is that's secondary. Uh, <laughs> it's garbage. Tra- 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 Trayvon Merrick has has regressed. Big Rakyasin, I know, hasn't played last couple of games, but Sam Webb isn't a starter in this league. No. Nate Houses, as we know, has played well now he has some bad games early in the season too but he's played well he's a starter in this league and amik robertson i know we had him on the show respect to amik but is amik robertson gonna be your starter for a decade probably no you know no so to me the defense up front is decent Mm -hmm. on the back end needs a lot of help deron Harmon, another one has made plays but he's also made his mistakes as well too but I, i just feel like the secondary drags it down where if if you can, if you have a top tier quarterback, you can cut through the Raiders defense. Now, if you have a bad offense, like as the Patriots do, now you mentioned oh. a couple of teams. Look at the teams that they've held under, you know, a certain amount of points. Denver, one of the worst offenses in the league. The Patriots, one of the worst offenses in the league. The Rams, who got their quarterback 48 hours before the game. Those are the teams that the Raiders defense is is performing well against. You get Patrick Mahomes back there. You, you get a top quarterback, maybe a mobile quarterback who can give your defense fits and run the ball. The Raiders defense is in trouble. They need more playmakers. Now, is it terrible? To your point, is it terrible? No. Raiders defense is not one of the worst in the league. No. But it it needs some renovations and some key areas. Max but, Crosby needs some help. But Ted Curry needs some help. But that's why I, I said when we came on the broadcast Sunday night, me and Murph, I said, listen, the Raiders continue to fail at playing complementary football. When the defense does play well, to your point, play above their pay grade, so to speak, um, the offense craps the bed and vice versa. Right. And so I think in, uh, the offense, you're right. The offense, when they do play better, it eases off the defense. The pressure eases off them so they can play a little looser. And I think they play with a little more confidence because they know their offense is out there winging the ball around. Uh, but overall, the lack of that complimentary football is what ends up killing this team every every week, because when they come out, the defense holds it together as best they can against this Patriots offense, which is terrible. And then the offense can't do anything in the second half. And that's why you got into the position you're in. So uh, it's one of those things where I think everybody's looking for the Raiders to to draft a quarterback early or to draft a defensive end or a tackle earlier. And I'm thinking they might draft defensive back early again. I know Raider fans, they've seen a lot of that and they failed at it miserably the last eight years overall. 
But but there's some good kids coming out, and we're going to get into that, obviously, as we start talking about the draft. But don't be surprised if they go get a cornerback or a safety uh, in that first round. I wouldn't be surprised either because they're – I think Jonathan Gannon is of this philosophy. He builds his defense outside in. Yep. He, he, he has the belief that you have to have a strong secondary, and that helps your pass rushes because your quarterback can't just throw a quick pass because yeah. you have good coverage. That's why he went out and got James Bradbury. That's why they paid Darius Slay. I believe a couple of years ago, they went out and, and acquired uh, the safety from the Saints, uh, Chauncey Garner. Mm-hmm. They got him from the Saints. He got hurt, but he before he got hurt, I believe he had five or six interceptions. So there are different philosophies out there. As far as Patrick Graham is concerned, Patrick Graham, I feel like he's the guy that, that likes those defensive backs who can play multiple positions. So if I'm looking at a defensive back in the draft, and we'll get into that months down the line, but I'm looking at a defensive back who's versatile, who could, who could play on the outside, who could play safety. I think that would be the the quintessential pickup for Patrick Graham because he did have, I believe it was Xavier McKinney out of Alabama with the Giants. Mm-hmm. He was a key piece of that Giants defense when it oh, performed yeah. well because he can line up in so many spots, and the Raiders don't have that player right now. Now, I know Nate Hobbs can line up at slot and quarter, but I'm talking about a defensive back who can play safety, both safety positions, and play cornerback. The Raiders don't have that right now. Yeah, and your Jets there in New York, I mean, I know they didn't build it outside in per se, but they added Sauce Gardner this year, and he's having an amazing year, and look mm-hmm. how complete that defense Change. is. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. So I like that approach of outside in, uh, and the Raiders already have okay inside. I think they can do with what they have, uh, but with draft capital that they do have, uh, they can build in all kinds of areas, but I do think that they start with a defensive back if they don't go, if they don't finish in the top eight or so or top five, which it doesn't look like they will in the NFL draft, then I would expect them to go with the defensive back because it is the most glaring need besides offensive line uh, on this team. All right, Mo, that's going to wrap up this Tuesday edition of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey podcast. Uh, By the way, Mo, when we next come together on Thursday, you're going to have to listen to my Christmas poetry. Are you ready? (laughs) I think so. Are you going to have your rainbow cake? And I probably will have my rainbow cake on Saturday, so I'm just going to miss Saturday, it. Saturday, on Christmas Eve. Saturday. Okay, I got you. By the way, we usually do our post-game show, but um, all of our families will disown us if we do a show <laughs> on Christmas Eve, especially those of us who have kids <laughs> Christmas Eve. Uh, and I think, by the way, that the, the time that the game will end in Pittsburgh will coincide with me going to church that night anyway, too. So, you know, he's, God is number one, so I'm not going to mess with him and say, hey, I got to go do a post-game show, God. Sorry, I can't be there. Uh, so we're not going to do a post-game show. So Thursday will be our last show. We might end up doing a little special for you that we're working on for Friday morning. Stand by for that one. Uh, but we will have, Twas the Night Before Raider Christmas, and I might be wearing another stupid hat. So you got to tune in and find out. If you're listening, go watch the YouTube video and you know what I'm talking about. Mo is not wearing a hat that looks like the Brooklyn Nets for once. So people will yes. not give him crap. Yes. Uh, I had to change per- the hat. Yeah, that yeah. was on purpose. I, I got sick <laughs> yeah, and tired of people saying, is it, are you a Brooklyn Nets fan? How could you be a Brooklyn Nets fan and Knicks, you're a Knicks fan? fan. So I was like, let me change the hat. This is all black. It's actually the same hat as the gray one that I wear, just all black. And you just all black. Not not Brooklyn Nets colors, but I I had to switch it up so that people had could stop asking me. 
There you go. Mo, make sure you read him up on Bleacher Report. Also, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. You can follow me at LV Gully. And also, you got stuff coming out on Sports Knot this week. Any previews you want to give people as they head into their Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Well, we talked a lot about Derek Carr and Chandler Jones. I have a piece up right now, actually, ah. uh, that breaks down just the just the big picture. We know what happened during the game, but I, I think it was important to highlight Carr and Jones because of the year that they've gone through. They've had a lot of criticism, and rightfully so, directed their way. And I think Saturday's win was big for them mentally because, as I said, a lot of people <laughs> came at them with criticism, but they came through when they had to in the clutch. Neither of them, neither of them had a monster game, but when the Raiders needed to turn it around, as they haven't done so in the previous four games where they had 13-plus point leads, they were able to get it done. The other one, I have another article coming out on, I believe, Wednesday, where I campaign for a specific player to be re-signed. I won't give mm. any hints, but I think it's clear that one player who's going to be a free agent needs to come back and be with the Raiders in 2023. You clearly are now finally on the Alex Bars bandwagon. <laughs> no? Yes, is, that, is that Alex Bars? I went, once oh. Alex Bars went down, I saw his replacement. I said, you know what? You can't you can't lose Alex Bars. After what we saw from Meredith and Grasso, can't get rid of Alex Bars. You got to have him. Gotta oh, have boy, him. man. I was hoping they'd get in and go in the stands because I knew Richie Incognito was at the game. I was like, could you have him on the roster, activate him really quick? Because even him on a bum foot would be better than that. So <laughs> it would have been good. But make sure you read. You can find out who the free agent. See, it's called a tease, folks. Yes. Bo is teasing you. So go up sure and make sure you check out his stuff uh, today so you can read that one. All right, Mo, we will talk to you on Thursday. And by the way, if you don't know what Sloppy Joe is, that means you didn't grow up poor no i'm kidding if you don't know what sloppy <laughs> joe is please google it uh it, i don't love sloppy joe but it's a, it's a great meal when you don't have anything else left in the house Dude. it's very quick very scrumptious if you don't have sloppy it. joe i grew up i grew up eating sloppy joes i also grew up grilled cheese of course yes. also you have did you ever have fried bologna I've had fried bologna and non-fried bologna. <laughs> and not, yeah, I had a lot of, like, to me, I, one time I was, I got nostalgic. I'm at the grocery store and I buy bologna. I bring it home or bologna, whatever you want to call it. I bring it home and I say, hey, kids, I got bologna. And they're like, what? What is, what, what is this? What is, because they're, uh, they're used to turkey and ham and the stuff. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like a good, a good bologna sandwich on white wonder bread with some mustard. Oh. That was Scott's my childhood, kids. man. See, Scott, Scott's kids live the privileged lifestyle, so they, they didn't experience <laughs> bologna and grilled cheese. Scott, That's right. Scott, Scott does great for himself, so his kids don't have to suffer through sloppy Joe sandwiches and bologna and cheese. They they have Hispanic uh, privilege. They do. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, their mom is Hispanic, and she, she makes really good sandwiches. I don't know what to say. There you go. The Cuban sandwiches are really, really good. Uh, but, yeah, that's all good. All right, Mo. Well, listen, man, we will talk to you on Thursday as we head into the weekend. Everybody out there, we appreciate you being with us here on Silver and Black today. We are an Odyssey original podcast covering the Raiders. Make sure you subscribe wherever you can get the show, wherever you listen to audio. You'll find us there if you're watching us on YouTube. Thank you. Great chat, as always, uh, on the side of us here. Love Love, love our viewers on YouTube. Always very active, and we appreciate your support. For our producer, David Stepanian, and for Mo Moten, I'm Scott Branson. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Take care.